it, it's true, right? Like if you start looking at like how to solve other people's problems, mm -hmm. even if there might not be an immediate return, it, it gets you into this solution oriented mindset where you start connecting the dots at a larger scale. Yeah. And, and ultimately that's, that's what creates, you know, real value. doing great uh thanks for having me could you tell us a little bit about what clear capital does and what the primary spaces they operate in are yeah i'd be happy to clear capital is a, a property valuation technology company and we are very laser focused on the property itself both residential and commercial properties and and helping people make better financial decisions by understanding the property's value risk condition um and and the market uh, mm -hmm. trends around properties so um we we want to provide people with accurate information to make better decisions mm -hmm. uh related to the property itself what kind of data points go into actually valuing a property this seems like a very complex and, and convoluted um methodology of, of actually valuing a property i would think off the top of my head you have the location um, the amenities at the, at the property, um, just as just as two things off the top of my head, but I I could imagine the models get a lot more complex than that as well. Yeah, that's that's a, a great question because it's it's really um, uh, it, it it's really about the the data as as you know many you know uh, technology focused or you know model focused you know problems um, are solved with, with better data. Right. So mm -hmm. first it starts out with an understanding of, you know, what actually is the property, you know, what are its characteristics, um, uh, it's, it's condition, um, um, and, and then understanding, you know, how that is relative to the market, uh, around it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then the other layer is really around its transaction history. You know, what's, what's the actual market for, uh, for properties in terms of, um, uh, you know, what that particular subject property has transacted for in the past, what's, what's its history been, and then how is that in relation to other transactions, mm -hmm. um, happening around it, um, within appraisal, there's a few different, um, methods, if you will, for, for coming up, um, with an approach to value. The most common one is a sales comparison approach. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you see that utilized, um, within, uh, the traditional appraisal process. Um, but even when it comes to doing automated valuations, um, again, you're, you are considering what's going on around that, that property in terms of the market. Um, and then how does that property itself, um, measure up to the market in terms of, you know, how it compares with its condition, its location, you know, all those other factors. So if, if you're using a lot of historical data to value a property, I would guess then, um, logically, it would follow that it's very difficult to value a new property then. Well, certainly, um, you know, and for like a new construction or, 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 or new development, um, uh, again, we might not have information on that particular property's history, but um, uh, it really depends on, on what's going on in that area. If there's a lot of recently developed homes that are, you know, fairly similar to the subject property and, and there's data there, it, it's uh, certainly possible to have plenty of support 
mm-hmm. uh, for understanding what 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 a new construction um, property uh, should be valued at. Um, you know, I think where it gets probably more complex is when you have a market with maybe not as much data available. You know, mm-hmm. so rural areas and and things where you don't have as much data to support um, a, a value conclusion, but if there's if there's lots of data, whether it's new construction or or older homes, um, that's that's not typically a, a challenge. Who are your biggest customers for for your product, and what what are they typically looking for in in the value you provide? Well, when you think about the property it, itself and and the whole life that it that it follows, mm-hmm. the, the journey well, that that property goes on, there's there's quite a few stakeholders that have interest in better understanding that property and making a decision around it. Um, you know, it, it really starts with um, maybe the existing homeowner um, uh, and uh, a decision on whether or not to, um, you know, take out uh, or, or, or tap into the equity that they might have in in, in that property. Um, of course, once a property goes up for for sale, you know, we, we certainly have customers within the real estate tech and and prop tech space that are trying to um, reduce friction in the in the actual listing and selling uh, of a property, um, uh, and then if that property is going to be financed in in mortgage, um, we work with you know, quite a few uh, lenders on a, a national level to um, make good mortgage decisions um, around that based on its value, um, and then most loans are. Um, are sold to the secondary market, either sold to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or, or maybe other private investors. And so we, we also, you know, work directly with a a number of those investors, including with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to um, provide better processes for them understanding Uh um, the risk associated with loans that they're purchasing. Mm -hmm. Um, Once a loan's purchased or, um, and, or once a loan's been originated, um, it gets serviced, right? And yeah. so someone can collect the payments on that on that mortgage, um, and uh, and work with the homeowner directly. And mm-hmm. and so we help folks as well there, and and then follow it all the way back around again to again helping that homeowner understand what to do next with the property. So, you know, we we really do, um, uh, you know, provide products and and solutions regardless of where that thing's at in the life cycle. We're, we're helping people make accurate decisions. And I, I think that traditional appraisers get a little bit of a bad rap as well because they're they're incentivized by their firm to uh, reduce the valuation of that that property as much as they can. It, it's it's in their favor in a way to to make it so that your property valuation isn't exorbitant. Um, so so it, this seems like a natural area to to disrupt for me. Well, yeah, I I, I guess I would look at it a, a little bit differently. I, I think that. Um, uh, and, and again, we're involved in both um, uh, uh, appraisals in in what we call kind of human-based valuations, where you're sending someone to a property, mm-hmm. and and um, and that's a, a local market expert that's that's grabbing data and and understanding what that that subject property is and and putting a opinion mm-hmm. of value on it. We also have um, data and analytics products where maybe we're using a model, AI-driven model to um, uh, to uh, predict value, um, then we also have technology products. But um, you know what what we found in working with with appraisers that you know most appraisers are you know really trying to um, 
uh, you know, su support uh, an, an accurate value on on the property, mm -hmm. and and they think of themselves also as um, ensuring that people don't overpay, of you know, for property. So, so it's not that they're trying to come in, you know, with a, a lower value or, or higher value. They're they're trying to provide an independent opinion of value, regardless of what the um, uh, you know loan or 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 sale of the property is. So I, I, I would say that, you know, most people are, are really, really take it seriously and, and are, are trained to have an, an unbiased opinion of value, not being driven by the influence of, um, of, of, of the sale or, or other factors. And in fact, that's really why, you know, post, um, post-financial crisis, a, a housing finance crisis back in, you know, 2008, while a number of rules were put in place, even from the regulatory standpoint, to create more independence um, for the appraisers so they wouldn't have all these influences mm -hmm. coming in and trying to yeah. in, influence the, the value. So, um, you know, so I, you know, that, that being said, I think, you know, the, the appraisal process itself hasn't changed um that much over the past few decades and it's it's remained much more of an analog process uh, where a lot of times you know someone's going to a house with a uh, a tape measure and a and a clipboard and so one of the things that we're trying to do is modernize that mm -hmm. start the digital process earlier capture the whole home digitally mm -hmm. and bring that home as data into the into the process yeah. so we can have more accurate data and a better platform if you will for um stakeholders down the line to make better decisions. How do you digitize a home like that? Is it sending in like some sort of scanner into the house that, that like flies around the house and, 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 and gets like a, a model of it? <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a lot of promise for drones and things like that. You know, it's, it's funny to hear kind of people talk about that, but when you think of the actual, you know, what's that actually like to, you know, open, you know, have the doorbell ring and open the door and there's a drone, and a drone just flies. You know, and I think we're pretty far away from that. Um, what makes, you know, more sense is the idea that, um, you know, it probably in your pocket right now is a, is a pretty powerful, um, device. There it is. There it is. It's got an <laughs> iPhone, product, right? Yeah. Um, you know, with some pretty amazing, you know, capture tech on, on there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not only the cameras, but um, but but lidar and 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 other things. So, you know, what we found is that um, that uh, really with just a uh, just a, a a phone, a mobile phone, you can you can capture the whole house. Um, and generate really accurate measurements um, and really accurate understanding of the characteristics of that home, you know, using using AI. So we made an investment a couple of years ago um, in a company called Kubi Casa, um, uh, which is it has an, a pretty amazing smartphone app um, that, with a five-minute walkthrough of the home, it just guides you through it. You end up with a super accurate. Um, floor plan with uh -huh. measurements and uh, automatic labeling of all the, the rooms, and then also a 3D model too. So um, so think about it as, you know, we've kind of democratized this idea of anyone should be able to do a digital capture of the home, but certainly from a professional standpoint, mm 
why not start the whole appraisal process uh-huh. with with grabbing the whole home digitally and mm-hmm. then everyone can use that more accurate data um, downstream. Isn't monetization a, a challenge with that though? Because if if I'm the appraiser, I'm going to be pretty pissed because my job is now uh, being threatened by that. And if I'm, you know, the consumer that's just going around and capturing a picture of my home, that's, I mean, I obviously have to pay for that, right? Well, as a, as a consumer, actually, one of the things we, that, that we did both for, um, you know, the adoption of this process during the real estate, you know, um, uh, listing is that we actually made it free. We, hmm. we started out with, a. um, uh, if you will, a, a freemium strategy where if you just want to get the basic floor plan, you know, it's, it, it's free. And then you can, you can add on additional, you know, features there as, as you need. Um, um, but, you know, for, for, uh, for, for appraisers, we, we saw it as making the process more efficient, not replacing the appraiser, but um, providing another tool that would accelerate it. And, you know, it's been interesting in, in partnering with um, with Fannie Mae and, and Freddie Mac as you know two of the sort of government government or sorry government sponsored uh, enterprises that are that are backing you know the the majority of of loans of of mortgages. Um, they have this desire to modernize the appraisal process um, again, not with the goal of replacing appraisers, but with the goal of saying. Um, we can take more of a risk-based approach here, where if we have great data and, and, a, and a great understanding of what's been happening at this this property over time, um, we shouldn't need to do, you know, a full-blown appraisal every single time. Yeah. Um, so, so they started adopting things like digital floor plans as one of the requirements for their for their products, and um, and we think this can make appraisers actually more efficient, mm-hmm. but also it give um, lenders more options to um, uh, to reduce the cost of appraisals for their consumers. So taking that freemium model was kind of a data play, right? Well, it was, you know, it was first of all, an, an, an adoption and change of behavior, you know, play. So like in, in other countries, um, uh, in, in the UK and in, in the Nordic countries, um, it's expected to have a floor plan on the listing when you go as a as a home shopper and you want to look at a um, potential home you're interested in in purchasing people expect the floor plan to be there and mm-hmm. in fact it's kind of like if it's not there it's like well what's going on how come it's not there because you know and, and in order countries they care a lot about you know form and and function more than kind of the us like just give me the biggest property i can right <laughs> um you know it's it's a different mindset but but uh but even in the states, um, uh, the, uh, the 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 NAR, the National Association of Realtors, you know, put out a um, a, a survey that said that that said that um, uh, behind photos and property information, uh, consumers are interested in floor plans on listings to better understand properties they're interested in. So, but yet. There really wasn't that that large a percentage of floor mm-hmm. plans on listings. So, our first thing is just we had to change behavior uh-huh. and had to help people, you know, find a way to deliver on what consumers actually want, which is make it super simple for them to provide floor plans. So, that, that's um, so shocking to me. 
that there's no, no floor plans on on a lot of house listings. That's that's shocking. Is that by design yeah. though? Because if, if if I don't have a floor plan, I, I I encourage people to come to the open house, right? If I'm interested in the house. Well, I certainly think COVID maybe changed, you know, um, some of the behavior around that. I mean, the idea that you need to be able to visit a virtual open house or visit the home, right, you know, without actually going there. And that we saw a huge shift and um, uh, inspired by keeping people safe. Uh, but I think people, once, once they realize that, oh, wait a minute, that's super powerful to really understand the flow of the home before I go there and, and I can hone in, you know, my, my time better. Um, that was, that, that was huge. So, um, that accelerated it. And then also, I think what we've seen is the, the improvement on the data itself. Um, uh, what we found is that, you know, public records, um, have not been as, uh, uh consistent and, and perhaps like when we would talk to homeowners all the time, like when's, when's the last time, sorry, hopefully you can edit this one second. <laughs> Uh, uh, working from home. So, um, uh, I think what one of the things that we saw in the accuracy of the data uh, itself was that there's an opportunity to really improve um, data that we've been relying on, things like public records data, which is gathered, you know, at a county level, really does vary in accuracy, and it also varies in recency because in a number of counties, they're not visiting the home or seeing improvements on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we, we've found that, that this gives you a much more recent up-to-date understanding and, and the gross living area, the home, the square footage, which drives price per square foot is one of the super important, uh, factors when it comes to putting a value on a property. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you're in relative lockstep with, with companies like uh, Fannie Mae. Um, but I, I want to pick at more of the, the state and local level because, as you know, there's there's regulation around home sales with the state and local regulators as well. Has that been a challenge when you're um, going out and, and having a, a multi-state approach with this? Well, certainly um, after, again, you know, after... The, the housing finance crisis and, and Dodd-Frank, you know, certainly local, um, or I should say, you know, state level, you know, laws were put into place uh, as to how to handle not only appraisals, but how to, um, you know, work with appraisal management companies. So we, we do have a, an AMC appraisal management company that were, you know, registered in all the states and, you know, certainly keeping track of what each state is doing that might differ. Um, uh, from things on a, on a national basis is, is an important part of, of it. But um, really, we found, I think, from the innovation standpoint, that that's not really holding up, you know, innovation. It's really about, um, you know, who's going to be, you know, purchasing, you know, purchasing mortgages and, and what are their requirements and how does that drive behavior of yeah. what lenders really, you know, offer. So that's why, you know, you know, partnering not only with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, but also with, you know, rating agencies and, and other private investors has really helped drive innovation in a way, you know, that's what's accelerated some of these modernization, mm -hmm. you know, techniques and, and property digitization 
is, is in many ways being driven by these programs, which is, which is new, you know, and, uh, and now lenders are in a place where they can start to adopt these things. Um, in fact, there's been several policy changes this year, you know, one was made back in, in, in April that allows a property data collection to be done instead of an appraisal, huh. um, which saves consumers about 250 bucks a, a, a loan. I like that. Uh, if you look, yeah, it's, it's actually really nice. The, the volume that we've done, you know, we think we've saved uh, customers millions of dollars since May um, uh, because of being able to use some of these, you know, types of products. Um, there's about 300 lenders or so that have adopted these, and there's but there's 3,000 lenders that sell to, you know, to the GSC. So we're just at the beginning of that sort of adoption curve, but that's being driven by these these programs. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you partner with some credit rating uh, credit rating agencies as well. What's the rationale behind that? Well, for for uh, for non-conforming loans and and private securitizations of even things like um, uh, home equity lending. Um, you know, most of those are, 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 are rated by, um, you know, by the, the morning stars of the world or Fitch, you know, um, rating agencies. So, you know, we, we've worked a lot in the past to develop, um, uh, you know, good, good quality products that, uh, give them comfort in, in underwriting, uh, for some of these non, uh, non-government backed, uh, loans. Mm-hmm. You've been uh, at Clear Capital for about 20, 20 or so years, right? Yeah, I, I actually um, I, I introduced the founders uh, to each other. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, I, was, uh, uh, <laughs> I, I was playing a, a random golf game. You know, I'm in my 20s and, and uh, <laughs> uh, I don't even really play golf that often. I'm not sure why uh, we 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 out there messing around but um um met a guy you know that that joined us and another weird thing that i never seemed to do well is i actually had business cards with me and i'm like why do i have business cards with me at a at a golf game i I can barely remember to bring them with me when i'm like you know out at at conferences and stuff but um but anyway i gave him a business card and then his friend who's our ceo now Mm. um called up and had the idea for arianetwork.com uh, and said, do you know anyone that can build websites? Um, and he's like, I, I was like, I don't, but I just met this guy playing golf today. And so, so I got a call from him and, and that put us together and we were able to, to, uh, to build Aria network, which ends up being the foundation for, mm. for clear capital, um, because it put together all these great real estate brokers across the country. Um, so yeah, so, so, you know, that moved from, um, just knowing, knowing great people that you want to work with, mm-hmm. uh, uh, became why I, I, uh, got connected up with Kirk Apples because of just great people. Did you win that round? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I, I say I, I play just as, just as much golf as I, you know, as I need to, in order to, uh, 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 beat my dad. That's that's my goal. <laughs> just I just want to stay one stroke and uh, ahead of my dad. <laughs> <laughs> what's your what's your handicap? I have no idea. <laughs> <Something bad. laughs> 
<laughs> so I want to I want to pivot back a little bit. You've been there for 20, 20 plus years. So you've seen mm-hmm. all of 08. You've seen, mm-hmm. you know, now uh, what, what's going on in, in the bond markets um, mm-hmm. What and, and mortgage rates more broadly. What what was 2008 like? I mean, I've, I've heard stories where people were were crying, uh, where where bankers were were getting ushered out of their their offices and in, in ba- with bankers boxes. So, uh, what was that like for you? That time period actually formed, um, I think, a lot of the way that maybe we even look at you know today's rapid change and volatility you know, in, in the market, which is, you know, at the, at the time, you know, a, a number of our clients, of course, were either going out of, out of business or getting consolidated. You know, I remember kind of going from one day to the next and like six of our customers had become one, one customer. And, and, um, you know, we, uh, with the products that we provide, which is, again, is trying to give people confidence on decisions, you know, you, you can imagine that, instead of us becoming less important, we became actually more important if we could provide, um, you know, really accurate, um, uh, an accurate understanding of where property values were and where they were headed and, and what, you know, property conditions were, um, it made us more valuable. And so we actually ended up growing, we actually ended up doubling in size you know, during 2008, wow. but it was, it was a, a, a stressful time because Again, people are really trying to understand where is this thing going, um, and and so I think we've we've taken some of that same approach now, where you know rates are are close to eight percent in mortgages, um, home prices are remaining super high because supply is still constrained, and 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 so we see it as like how can we dig in and help? How can we provide mm-hmm. more confidence right now? You know, um, how can we still um, uh, move the needle at a time where yes, a lot of our customers are in pain. They're they're laying, you know, they're doing rounds of layoffs. Um, they're uncertain about the future. Um, we take that as our challenge to say, how can we at least take away, you know, some part of that pain, create some more confidence, and and stay stay innovative. I think a lot of people who are going to be listening in today, i.e., college students, uh, worry that they will not be able to follow the American dream, which is home ownership. Um, what, what do you say to, to people who feel so, so shut out of ever owning a home with, with an 8% rate and, and home price is close to the average being f- about $435,000. It, it's definitely a challenge right now. Um, it's something I was spending a lot of my time on, um, thinking about ways to increase housing affordability um, uh, in fact, so I just, re- we recorded our pod- podcast today and, and, and interviewed the founder of, uh, of Onify, mm. uh, is one of those models that's trying to solve just that, that very situation, you know, and, and they're using things like fractional home ownership and fractional ownership and, and, uh, and more of an equity play to help people have a lower down payment and, and build equity while they're, they're paying more of a a market rent rate as mm-hmm. opposed to a, a mortgage rate. And so a lot of my focus has been building great relationships with prop tech founders and innovators um, uh, so that we can ensure that valuation is not a barrier to mm-hmm. these new models and um, and that we can help them with their investors, um, help them get you know confidence 
that they're viewing the collateral, you know, in an accurate way, and and uh, and that's supporting trying something new. Um, so I, you know, I think there's there's a ton of opportunity, even with the pullback of of funding um, right now because of the, uh, the the market change. You know, the pullback of, of investment in, in prop tech. The problems are still there. In fact, the problems are that, worse. that are solved are, are worse, right? Yeah. So, to me, that means that the opportunity is still there. It's not going away, um, and, uh, and 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 I've just I, I, I've just looked at it as how do we remove friction for other people so they can try um, uh, new models without trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what I would say to, to students right now is that um, uh, I think there's going to be more options in the future for how to get into uh, in, into homes, and and it might look different. It might not be you doing 20% down and owning the whole thing yourself. There might be co-ownership type I, I, I ideas. You know, buying homes with your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, working with with more of like a scalable, you know, approach, like instead of borrowing for, from family or, or getting, you know, help from a down payment from your parents, it might be, you know, working with, um, with companies that, that have that more, more uh, productized. Um, but I, I think those options are, are coming for sure. How does the fractional ownership model work for, for new homeowners? So really, you've got you know a company that's that's um, that's going into the going into the ownership you know with you in some cases uh, you know where there's an actual um, uh, a corporation you're buying a share they're, they're buying a share they might be using other types of funding or investment um, to 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 subsidize that um, in other cases like I think Nestment's a good example of a company where I think their tagline is um, you know, buy a home with your friends, right? And so they make it easy to facilitate multiple people coming together and and uh, doing joint um, joint financing. So um, yeah, there's there's a lot of different models, you know, that are that are cropping up. Um, uh, but you know, for us, it all still comes down to the same fundamentals, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that they all need to know. <laughs> In a very accurate way. Yeah. What's the value of the property itself, right? And are we in a good spot for the future? Mm-hmm. So, Keenan, I want to ask a question to you, um, and I want to ask this because a lot of people will look at you as being a guest on here and think that um, think that where the the amount of success that you've achieved in your life is is unreachable. Um, and there's, there are people who will look up to you as, as someone who is so far ahead of them that maybe they'll never really achieve that. So to, to kind of, um, bring you back down to earth for some of our listeners, what, what is one thing that you've gotten wrong in your life? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go maybe more to like the part that I can actually control because a lot of this is. (laughs) Um, is timing right yeah. you know and and i i uh i love to say it was all part of the plan but most of this has not been part of the plan it's it's really been trying to do um take it you know step by step and, and do the most i can with what's what's in front of me but the thing that i got wrong especially early on um as an as a younger leader was i 
I found myself trying to lead um, like someone else instead of being instead of being myself. And you know, in the startup world, especially, and you know, um, wanting to build build confidence um, that I can I can rapidly you know grow as a company's you know growing and everything. I, I found myself trying to emulate other managers, other leaders um, to show that I that I that I had it had it dialed. And um, the thing I learned pretty quickly is that. I, I suck at being someone else. Yeah. Um, I'll fail at it every time. Um, if I don't find a way to be, uh, authentic, um, and bring, you know, bring what I have to the table, my strengths and weaknesses. Um, it's, I'm, I'm a lot stronger on things that are unique to me and I have a much better opportunity to, um, learn about my weaknesses if I'm being authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, just putting on a show, even for the right reasons, um, you know, really got me, I, I would say got me in the, in, in, into trouble because I, I wasn't able to, um, uh, you know, bring to the table the things that, that I think make me unique and, and, and creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably could have solved, there's probably a number of problems I could have solved faster yeah. or sooner if I was thinking that way. And, you know, like right now, one of those things that is authentically me is like, like, I can't just do this from a business standpoint only. I, I have to keep, um, you know, my passion in the things that I think matter, which is really like the impact on people. And, and if I can't find that, if I can't find that path to how does this actually impact people in a positive way, how does this actually, you know, change things, you know, for the better, not just a model that can just work, but how does it actually change things? Um, then I'm, I, I'm losing the opportunity to be passionate about something and I do my best work when I'm passionate. So I, I guess what was the moment or what was, what were some of the things that you did on that soul searching mission to finally find out who you were and, and what your passions truly are? Yeah. One of those things I actually went back to school. I went to, to UCLA to a, um, a leadership um, program, kind of like a pocket MBA type program that they had and, yeah. and um, tried to get some new skills. Right. Um, and, and, um, and that kind of, that was like the spark, if, if you will, you know, it's like hearing, getting a totally different perspective on how you should be approaching this. And, you know, they didn't really arm me with like, you should do this, this, and this. It was more like, well, who are you? What's your personality? Yeah. Where, you know, where do you, um, where do you naturally, you know, lean in and, and where do you get your energy from and your inspiration? And, um, uh, and, and then it was just from there, it's not like it happened overnight. I think it was just practice, you know, over, over time. Um, and, uh, and not backing away from the idea that, you know what, I can bring the most value to a situation. If I'm bringing my whole self, if I'm bringing who I think I should be and trying to act like someone else and I bring that to the situation, it's not going to go very well. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that little nugget of wisdom. And, uh, before we close this episode out, I want to um, go to the one question that we always ask every single guest that we bring on the podcast. And 
That question is, what is one piece of actionable advice that you could give someone who is 18 to 22 years old right now going into the job market in the next two to three years? And, and regardless if, if they're, you know, 100% sure who they are or maybe not, what is this one piece of advice that they could put in right after this episode that would put them in a really good spot in the next five years? I think I would focus in on, you know, at least for, for me, my experience in, in school and in, in college, um, I, I, you know, what I came out of there with was, yeah, I had some skills maybe that I could apply directly to, you know, getting a job. But really what I learned was um, the ability to build a relationship and to um, uh, uh, debate my point of view or perspective in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And, and so, you know, I, I think your ability to be successful, you know, short-term and long-term always comes down to relationships. Of course. And so, you know, it's thinking about, I think while you're, while you're there right now, while you're in school right now, looking around you and, and saying like, like, where am I investing my time in, 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 in others in a way that actually, um, uh, that, that, that actually, you know, uh, if you will, gives me the opportunity to understand not only who I am, but how to help others. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, because it's a mutual thing, it's gotta be right. You know, more of a, more of a partnership, but it's, it's always been every single opportunity I've ever had from my first job to the position I have now has always been based on relationships that I've had with people that I've been able to see who they are and help them. And they are able to see who I am. The skills get you, the skills just yeah. prove that you can deliver, but it's, it's the relationships that actually create the opportunity. Forming relationships in the working world is challenging though, because oftentimes you, you get muddied by, by the work and, and your true side, like we talked about, doesn't really shine through. There's a, there's a favorite there. There's a famous quote from the big short uh, when, when Michael Burry is winding down uh, the hedge fund and he says, and I quote, um, this business kills the part of you that has nothing to do with business. Mm. So I, I, yeah. I think it's challenging to, to form authentic relationships with people in business. I, I, I agree, but I think the best way to combat that, you know, is to, to fight the urge to only do something when you're going to get something in return. I think it's, I think if you do something for nothing and it can be a little, it can be a little thing. But if you look for ways to add value to other people's life without expecting something in, in return, it sounds a little bit cheesy, but it's, it, it's true. Right? Like if you start looking at like how to solve other people's problems, mm -hmm. even if there might not be an immediate return, it, it gets you into this solution oriented mindset where you start connecting the dots at a larger scale. Yeah. And, and ultimately that's, that's what creates you know, real value, but it's also a good way to make friends because like, if you help someone with no expectation of return and, and they didn't know what's coming, yeah, you start forming interesting relationships that you wouldn't have, you know, otherwise. For sure. Keenan, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, this is probably going to be episode 15 of the FinTech at IU podcast. 
Uh, I want to thank the IU Media School for allowing us to use their spaces today. Obviously, thank you to Dr. Monaco and Dr. Doc Lich for their support with bringing FinTech at IU to where it is today. Keenan, thank you once again for being here today. And thank you to our audience for listening in today. Have a good one.